Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you will find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Chris G. So one of the ways I connect to my higher power is I ground myself and I'm wearing boots and I can't do that so I'm going to take off my boots so that I can have my feet on the floor. My name is Chris and I am a grateful recovering compulsive overeater. And I'm very grateful for Mickey for asking me to come speak. I've actually never been to this meeting before so it's really good to see everybody and um, re-see people that I know. Um, I'm really a grateful member of Overeaters Anonymous. I can honestly say that I owe so much of my life today to this program. When I came into these rooms, I had not quite hit my bottom yet. It was about 1999-2000, and I knew I had a really peculiar relationship with food, but I hadn't quite gotten to the point where I felt like I couldn't still control it. But I had a lot of evidence that I couldn't control it. Um, when I was when I was a little kid, I remember um, losing myself in the food. Um, certain things um, I could remember, just not being able to deal with what was going on in my household. I have an alcoholic father, and um, so I used food to just cope, and it really worked for a while. Um, and even at about age 15, when my family kind of had an intervention on my father, um, my mom started taking me to Alateen, and this was my first experience of 12-step, was as a teenager, trying to grapple with the fact that my father was an alcoholic. And um, I was definitely... using the illusion of trying to control my food to have some kind of order in my life. Um, I was a perfectionist. I tried to excel at everything that I did. And even when I would go on a diet, I would try to really excel at that. And and I did. Um, I was really tall. I still am. And um, I was playing volleyball. And when I was in um, high school, I, I really wanted to, like, play college volleyball. So... Uh, I decided it would be a really good idea to, like, lose, you know, 25 pounds. Well, I was only about 175 pounds at that point, so losing 25 pounds would be me at 150, which um, which doesn't really work for me. I have pictures in my um, book that I'm passing around of my high school graduation when I was standing with my father, and I had restricted my way down to probably about 150 pounds. And um, I'm a pretty strong, you know, steady, physically person, and um, I was freezing all the time. Um, it wasn't the, my natural set point for me. Um, I feel like today I'm a little bit more in my my natural kind of God-given body physique, and I just kind of accept that today. Um, but back then, I was I was the one who was trying to control where I was at. And uh, I was really unhappy. Uh, things at home were getting much worse. He was only about three years 
three or four years away from his death at that point. So he was really advanced alcoholic, and I was getting ready to go off to college. So I was about 150 pounds in that picture, roughly. And then I went to college, and I put on the freshman 45 (laughs) because my experience is that when I restrict like that, I just go the complete opposite direction because because I think in my mind somehow I'm I'm still trying to control and my perfectionism which I was you know huge perfectionist if I couldn't do the diet perfectly I would just you know I would just go completely the other direction so this experience in college I was kind of up and down and up and down 20 and 30 pounds like like every year um, and one Christmas my cousin who hadn't seen me in since summertime you know came up to me and he's like you know six right they're so honest at that age and I was at my higher weight and he said you know Chris how come you're so fat and it's like I knew I couldn't hide it I knew I was wearing my disease at that point you know I was in my mind thinking oh I'm still trying to control but I kind of was starting to get a sense that I really didn't have much control over this at all. Um, And that I really couldn't hide it either. So, fast forward a little bit. I graduated from school and I started dabbling in OA like I would go to a meeting a year. Or like two, you know. Um, Because I, I really wasn't willing to admit I was powerless over food at that point. I just hadn't hit my bottom yet. So I would go occasionally here and there. Um, but then, in 2005, my mom was getting married, and she wanted me to be in her wedding. And she wanted me to wear this this particular dress, which, like, didn't have a back on it, you know? And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, i got to lose some weight. You know, here, I'm still trying to control. So I hire a, 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 a personal trainer, and we're working out, like, three and four days a week, and I'm, like, eating only fish and vegetables, and... I mean, I I went down, I actually dropped quite a bit of weight in a pretty short period of time, still trying to control it. This is before I really started to come to program and working the steps. And um, so I got down, and there's a picture of me in there in this, like, shimmery blue dress with my brother. And that was in July. Well, by, like, October, I had put on another 30 pounds. So at that point, I was like... really wanting to stop and really not being able to stop because even just the thought of a diet would make me want to go off of one, you know? (laughs) So I'm like, well, shoot, if I can't stay on a diet with my... If I can't stay on a diet, then... And if I'm gaining weight at, you know, 30 pounds in three or four months, I'm screwed, especially if I can't stop myself from doing it. And at... At that time, I really started getting my powerlessness. And I was finally ready. This is like 2005. And I had been, you know, going like this for decades. And um, so finally, in February of 2006, I came into the program. I started going to the Westchester uh, 730 100-pounder meeting, which has a lot of long-timers. And I really listened to what the long-timers were saying because I really wanted what they had. I saw so many people in that room that were like at peace. 
Like here I was, like miserable and fighting the disease. I was fighting still, you know, and I, I wanted to lose weight, but I couldn't. I couldn't go on a diet. I couldn't stay on one. My car was driving itself to fucking Starbucks to get a scone, you know. I wasn't doing that. That's pretty powerless, you know. When the car is driving itself to go get your stuff, it's like, no, but I don't want to be doing this, but I am doing this, but I don't want to be doing this. I mean, insanity, insanity, you know. So I really wanted to stop. And I found that I could not. And that is the crux of the problem. That is the problem. You know, we have to really be wanting to stop in order for this to work. If we still want to eat, then we should just go go eat. If you really want to, you should just go until you get to a point where you really don't want to anymore. And then, you know, at that point, I was ready. So I got into this meeting, and there were a lot of great long-timers, and I listened and I listened, and... um I didn't know what they were talking I didn't know what abstinence was. I, I didn't know what they were talking about. I had to go to a lot of meetings. And I started slowly hearing what I needed to hear was a speaker meeting. And so I just kind of stuck around. And there were a couple of speakers where it's like, oh, yeah, I really identified. Um, because my, my eating career was mostly grazing just to medicate emotionally, like pretty much all day long. You could always find food on me. <laughs> it was like hardly ever a time I didn't have food on me because I would just need it if I felt the slightest bit, you know, a little angry, a little anxious, a little nervous, a little... Um, if I started making some kind of judgment against myself and others were being critical, I would just need the food to, like, anesthetize me. So I started hearing people talk about a food plan. Now, I, I had a hard time with, what, what's that? Like, how is that different from a diet, <laughs> you know? I had to learn a lot in the beginning of the program. But I realized people were talking about, like, three meals a day, nothing in between. Um, you know, three meals a day and two snacks. Um, you know, a lot of people with a lot of different food plans. So, so finally, I, I got willing to, I, I talked to a lot of the old-timers because I really needed some advice. And um, so I tried. What they, I just did what they did. I just tried what they did. Um, and I was knew I kind of needed a sponsor, but I was such a perfectionist that nobody had what I wanted. Oh, it's God, can you believe that? Oh, I was so, um, you know, I had to have the perfect sponsor, you know. She just had to be just right for me, just absolutely right for me. Well, that kept me from getting a sponsor for a while. And that wasn't helpful to me. And I realized um, there's one absolutely beautiful, beautiful, just totally open-hearted, loving woman that I really admired. She always talked about the steps. She always talked about higher power and God. And 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 I knew I needed that. I, I, but I had no idea because I wasn't a religious person being brought up. And I always felt like, well, I could do anything if I put my mind to it. You know, I was raised with that. So to give myself to a higher power was a little bit of a challenge. But I was willing because I was so desperate. I mean, I was powerless over food. So um, she'd ask me, you know, are you working the steps? And I'm like, oh, no. You know, I need to find a sponsor. And she's like, well, call me. I said, okay. And she'd give me her phone number on a piece of paper. Never called. This happened like three times, you know. She's like, okay, are you working the steps? I'm like, well, no. But I'm going to meetings. She's like, well, call me if you want to work the steps. And so months go by, and finally, 
she said, are you, are you working the steps? And I said, of course no. She goes, why don't you come to my house Tuesday at 7 o'clock and I'll take you through it. <laughs> God bless her for making the schedule for me because I just couldn't do it. So I started working the steps with my sponsor. We met with for an hour a week. I would go to her house and we would read the big book word for word for an hour until I got all the way through the steps. It took me about three and a half months to do my fourth step, which I thought was kind of a long time. I thought I was dragging my feet. But in your first inventory, that sucker's long. It takes a long time. You could have 100 people on your resentment list. I mean, and if you're doing all the columns, we're talking weeks, you know, especially if you have a full-time job. So, you know, but I did it because I really wanted, you know, and I was starting to find that as I worked the steps that, like, I could go from breakfast to lunch and, like, I wasn't thinking about food. And I thought to myself, well, this is really interesting because... I could never really go from breakfast to lunch before without thinking about food or or grazing of some kind. So, if I'm not doing that, there's got to be something at work here. There's got to be something. And I wasn't really that in touch with my higher power yet. But I knew I had that, that willingness that there was a higher power that could help me because I already saw it working in my life. I saw it in the really little ways. And I, you know, I asked my higher power to, you know, to help me with my food. And, um, you know, for the first couple of years of program, I was so afraid to give anything up, like any one particular food item up, because I, my experience was when I gave something up, I binged on it. So in order to keep me from binging, I have to, like, not give anything up. This was my head, you know, the first year or two in program. Um, you know, so, you know, if I had, you know, Foods like if I had desserts, I'd usually have them like with my dinner, you know, and call it a meal, you know. Until about two years into program, I realized that um, I, I really wasn't at peace with certain foods. That certain foods kind of triggered that allergy of the body where I kind of wanted more and more and more. I started having that sense in my body that certain foods were really clean for my body, and then some foods really didn't bring me peace at all. And after about two years, I really became willing to allow my higher power to remove the foods that weren't bringing me peace. And I didn't really know what these foods were going to be. But I just kind of blanketed it it to my higher power. Like, okay, I don't know how the heck you're going to do this, but um, I I need you to remove remove the foods that aren't bringing me peace. And, you know, the, the desserts were lifted from me at that point because they were the ones that weren't bringing me peace. Um, I found out later that there are all kinds of other foods. About three and a half years in, I realized that I really can't do pasta with any peace of mind. It took me three years to kind of realize that, but I, I started getting more in touch with my body and more in touch with the truth, and I was really willing, because at this point I really wanted to keep the peace. Um, I had worked, you know, all the steps with my sponsor, and I was starting to take on Saponsies, and I could tell um, if I had something that really wasn't good for my body, and I felt that craving, I'm like, oh, God, I mean, it's horrible to feel that. Um, And so there have been a few slips in my recovery because, you know, I wasn't, you know, I'm not paying attention to exactly what's the ingredients, and some things are just, I have an allergy of the body. You know, the book says we have an allergy of the body, and we have an obsession of the mind. It's like there... There is that, and I get that in my body today. So, um, I am so grateful that I found a way when I did. 
because um, in February of 2006 when I came in, I didn't realize it, but the man of my dreams was going to be coming in December. (laughs) Thank God for OA because um, I had the opportunity to start looking at myself, to start living a cleaner life. And... um, I, I, you know, I, I have plenty of character defects, still do, as a result of my last fifth step that I, I'm actually halfway through my fifth step right now with my sponsor for like the third or fourth time around, and I'm blown away at how many character defects I still have, but you know, it's like I'm a work in progress, but um, one of the things when I first um, um, met Dave, my now husband actually, was that I didn't want him to know I was a compulsive overeater. Because I was brand new and I was really ashamed of being a compulsive reader. I didn't want anybody to know I had this. You know, because in my mind, I thought it was like I was flawed, you know. And, you know, when I came, it's like, I, you know, I didn't want anybody to know that. Now I'm like, I'm asking what my flaws are and I got a list a mile long. You know, I'm totally fine with telling you what they are. But in the beginning of dating Dave, I, I lied to him. And whenever I would go to an OA meeting, I would tell him I would go to Al-Anon because Al-Anon was another program that I went to because of my family uh, issues, and so I was familiar. So I just would say that. Anyway, um, in my first six months of recovery, I was so insecure about my abstinence and whether or not I could e- should even call myself abstinent or be abstinent. I felt like I was refraining from the overeating, but occasionally I would eat like kind of like food off the plan a little bit, and I would think, oh, no, you know, I'm not abstinent. And I had this so, so much insecurity about that. I was really willing and I was really trying. Um, but I'm a compulsive overeater, so, you know, my food is not perfect. Um, but it's perfect for me today. But at the six-month point, I didn't take my six-month chip at the meeting. And I didn't take it because I felt like I had to be perfect and I wasn't. So at the seven-month part, seven, seven months came along. This is kind of an emotional thing for me because it's really how I first really connected with my higher power. At the seven-month point, people were taking chips in the meeting, and I went up to one of the long-timers at this meeting. And I said to her, you know, I haven't taken my six-month chip. I don't feel like I deserve it. You know, that's why I'm not taking it. And she just said, Chris, she goes, you know, just keep moving forward. Just move forward. Because I probably, I would have, kept on doing it that way, I never would have taken anything. I never would have gotten anywhere. You know, I have so many gifts from this program, and I'm not perfect, and I just feel like, thank God for the long-timers to steer me in the direction of, you know, really what my higher powers will for me is, and peace and serenity. So I decided that I was going to go ahead, and I was going to take my six-month ship, and I was going to really give it even more over to God and work this program, and work the steps, and do my inventory, and all of that. So I came home one night, and um, Dave said, hey, you know, so how was your meeting? Because we would both gone to meetings, but he was going to a different meeting than I, because he's also a 12-step person, but not the same fellowship. He said, oh, how was your meeting? I'm like, oh, it was, it was really amazing, you know. I took my six-month ship. And he's like, six-month ship? Like, you get chips in Al-Anon? I'm like, oh, brother. Like, now I have to tell him that I'm a compulsive overeater. And I was like, I was so scared because I thought that if he he found out I was a compulsive overeater, that he wouldn't love me. That was what I believed, you know? 
And I said, I go, you know what? I go, I have a lot of shame around this. I'm not proud of this. And, and, but I have to be honest with you. I go, I haven't been going to Al-Anon meetings. I've been going to OA because I have, I have a compulsive overeating problem. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm in recovery. And I just took my six month ship. And he looked at me. And that's the first day he told me he loved me. What was that day? And I was like, oh, my God. I felt so low at the bottom of the bear. I mean, I felt like, oh, God, now, you know, now he knows I'm a compulsive overeater, you know. But he loved me. Anyway, in fact, I felt more loved by him in that moment. It was so beautiful, so beautiful. I think that's when I started loving myself. If someone else can love me and know that I'm a compulsive overeater and I have all these defects, then I can start loving me as a compulsive overeater and accepting that I'm a compulsive overeater. So, just absolutely beautiful, beautiful process. I mean, really painful, but man, really beautiful. Most of them are like that, you know. The light and the shadow. <laughs> so, I had some peace with being a compulsive overeater. And I started being able to say in meetings, I'm Chris, I'm a compulsive overeater. Because when I came in, it's like, I'm Chris, I'm a compulsive overeater. <laughs> and like, I, I just, I couldn't even say that. It was so hard. But thank God for OA. Because as I was in this relationship, had I not been working the 12 steps and doing inventories and writing my resentment on paper, you know, they would have been coming out in all these other ways, which would have totally sabotaged my relationship. Because I, when I'm in the food, that's my primary relationship. If I'm in the food, I'm not going to be able to love people. So for me, connecting with my higher power and being able to have a clean food plan that doesn't trigger me so that I can be more of service to you and God and everyone else there's no better life than that. When I'm in the food, I can't see anything but me, 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 me. And we know that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our problem. And we really find that out in the fourth step, which is a beautiful process. It's working the steps that brings us the recovery we need. And the recovery is about transformation. You know, it's about having a psychic change that, you know, brings you into more connection with your higher power that will solve your problem. Because I can't solve the food problem by myself. I've tried. It doesn't work. I, I, I had to get willing that a higher power exists that would solve my problem because otherwise we have two choices. We go on to the bitter end, right, in our disease, or we accept spiritual help. That's what the book says. You know, we've got two, we've got two choices. You're either going to go on in your disease. Who knows what that's going to look like 30 years from now. I projected that out. I was 400 pounds in a mumu on Prozac by the time I was 35. <laughs> and, and that's true. I really felt that way. I really felt that's where I was going. And I could see that, which is why I got so willing to get the help I needed. So I have some really um, amazing and beautiful and difficult and transforming experiences over over the well four and a half years with with Dave and um, like I said thank God I was working steps because 
about six weeks into going out with Dave, we were we went out to a meditation retreat, um, not recovery related, but we were both spiritual people, and so we went on this meditation retreat. And we were coming back, and um, we had like six hours in the car. It was like up near, you know, Monterey or whatever. So we got to talking, and on the way home, we were kind of talking about, you know, I didn't know him very well at that point, so I was just like, hey, so, you know, you, what, you know, what were you doing for the last 20 years? <laughs> well, I was, you know, married, and I have a 20, you know, five-year-old son, and, um, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, like, that's amazing. And and he said, yeah, I, I you know, I got divorced about five years ago. I'm never getting married again. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Like, I'm not going to fight with that one. I mean, he seems pretty, pretty convinced on that. But I'm sitting here falling totally in love with this guy. And he's telling me he's never going to get married again. But I was in program. And I knew that, A, I had to accept the things I could not change. And one of those things was that, his view at this time is that he's not getting married. He's like, okay, can I be with that? Can I accept that? Well, it's fine. So deeply in love with him that I had no choice. I had to accept it because I'm not walking, you know. So after about a year and a half, um, we were both still living in our separate apartments. And so um, we were thinking, you know, we were spending so much time together that maybe we could, you know, get a place together. And he, we were tossing it around, but nothing really serious. Well, one day, I was driving home from work, and I had to turn on this one street to get to my house. And I saw a little for rent sign on the lawn. Um, and about a week before that, Dave and I were, you know, laying in bed talking, and we're thinking about, well, what would we need if we actually got a place together? Well, we would need, I would need a garage, and he would need a garage, so we need two, two, we need two two-car garages, pretty much. And he's got to surf almost every day, so we got to be, like, walking distance from the beach. And we have to have two bedrooms, because he's got to have an office, and, um, so I'm thinking, okay, we need a two-bedroom place with two two-car garages, walking distance to the beach. Got it. Like, and it, and we, it had to be, you know, at, it had to be at least less than, at least equal to or less than what we were currently paying in rent. So I'm like, oh wow, I just kind of let it go. But when I was driving home one day, I turned the corner and there's a rent sign on this cute little cottage by the beach. And I go, oh, wow, that, I wonder what that's going for, just just for shits and giggles. You know, like, what's it going for? So I, I get out of the car, and I look, and I'm like, oh, it's got hardwood floors, really cool. And then I go, and I and I see what the rent is, and it, it said $2,900. I mean, this is L.A. at the beach, right? So it's kind of a lot. $2,900, but it actually happened to be the exact amount that Dave and I were paying combined to the dollar. Exactly. I'm like, that's strange. Like, we could afford this place. Go along the side of the house, and I look, and I see there's a garage, there's a two-car, there's like, there's a converted carport, which is enclosed, and then there's another garage. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, two two-car garages, and it's it was unbelievable. So I go I go back um, to Dave that night, and I said, I said, well, you know, not for nothing, but, you know, if we want to live together, I have a house. He's like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, well, you know, there's this house on the beach, you know. And I, I thought, oh my God, I'm totally in love with this guy, and I want to live with him. But he didn't. He didn't want to. And he was really afraid. And he said, No, I'm not. I'm not ready to do it. I went home that night, and I bawled my eyes out because I felt here's the perfect place, and here's the perfect guy, and I found it, and it's like the exact same amount of money. And he says no. 
And I had to accept that. He was not ready. Thank God I'm working the steps because I was able to go home and bawl my eyes out and not try to twist his arm or convince him that this is the right thing to do or make him think something other than the way that he thinks or make him feel something other than the way that he feels. I just need to love him and honor his truth. And his truth is that he's not ready, so okay. I had a roommate at the time, and I just cried and cried, and she understood, and it was really great. I got it. I got it out. Well, three days later, Dave, we were sitting in front of the TV, and um, Dave, like, turns the movie off, like, mid-movie. This never happened. <laughs> He's like, baby, i got to talk to you. And I said, okay. Well, you know the house you were talking about. I said, yeah. He goes, well, you know, I went in it, and... Actually, the landlord was there, and, you know, he said that it hasn't been rented, and it's still available, and, you know, if it's, if it's still okay with you, he goes, I just, I had to work through some fears and stuff, but I think it's a really good thing. I think we should take it. And I said, I would love to, you know, and that was that. But that whole situation would have gone down in a completely different way if I wasn't working the steps, because I would have been angry, I would have reacted, but instead, I just accepted it, and I dealt with my feelings on my own time. You know, and I cried, 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 cried. You know, and I had to cry and write and talk to my sponsor. And, you know, it looks like I'm a mess, but I'm actually healing. I really, I am, you know. <laughs> but that's what it looks like. You know, sometimes we're just a total mess. And unravel, you know. If you need to unravel, just unravel. You never know what's on the other side of that. You never know. So we moved in together, and for two years, it's been really great. And, you know, I'm learning how to kind of express my truth a little bit more, and that's one of my major character defects is I have a hard time saying yes when I mean yes and saying no when I mean no and having appropriate boundaries and all of that. Well, I hadn't touched the M word, right, because I'm like, he doesn't want to get married, so I'm not going to talk about it. We're just not going to talk about it. It's like big elephant in the room, but I'm not going to talk about it. So... um Anyway, one day, after about two years of living together, we're laying there, and he's thinking, you know, the prices of houses are going down. You know, we, we, we might want to think about buying a house. I'm like, wow, he's willing to buy a house with me, but he's not willing to get married to me. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> so, so I'm like, okay, well, you know, go ahead and look, you know, look and see what, you know, what you can find. So he started finding some really interesting houses that were, like, in our price range and stuff. And he was really getting serious about the buying a house thing, you know, because the housing prices had dropped. And the interest rates were low, and it's like a good time to jump on it. Plus, we were wasting a crap load of money in rent, and we couldn't, you know, couldn't think about doing that anymore. So I said to him, um, well, not for nothing, but, you know, if, if we're going to buy a house together, I'd rather be married to you. And that's all I said. I just told him my truth. Like, that, that's my truth. I'd just rather, if we're going to make that kind of a financial decision and get that kind of committed, that I'm willing to be married to you. That was it. We didn't, that was the second time the M word came up in our entire relationship. And I just said my truth. Well, in February, we were vacationing in Maui, and he proposed, and he had no idea what the answer was going to be. He told me he was really nervous, because we never talked about it, you know. And the ring didn't fit. It was really funny, because, you know, we never went shopping for any of that. I had no idea. I was no clue. So, um, so anyway, this last May, May 1st, Dave and I got married, and, um, and I have 10 minutes left. And um, one, of the, one of the things about marrying Dave was that um, he had told me about a year before that that he was really not willing to start a family over again. Like, he, had ha- he has a, you know, 
a kid in his mid-twenties. He's kind of been there, done that. And so I needed to get to my truth about what, what's my truth in this. Like, here's a man that I love, that I want to be with forever, that doesn't want to have a family. And so I either had to walk and hopefully find somebody, maybe, that I would want to have a family with, which is a total crapshoot, because I could get neither. I could end up not finding the guy or the kids, right? Or I could accept the fact that I'm deeply in love with, with a man who accepts me and loves me as I am. It is what I have today. It is present moment. And that's all I've ever had is this day, this moment. I tried to pack my bags. It didn't work. I got the suitcase out. I couldn't leave. You know, I had my answer, right? But having to walk through that experience and, like, mourning the loss of unborn kids that, you know, that's a huge, huge loss of a dream for me because I always thought I would be a mom. And chances are I might not be, but I am blown away by this thing. Things are always happening that I'm not in control of, so I just give it over to God, you know, because... The 12 steps teaches you how to deal with life. When we stay abstinent and we ask God for help to guide us with the food and in all of our affairs, it really is about practicing these principles in all our affairs. It's not really about the food necessarily. It's really what's behind that. Because food is not the problem. It's the, it's the, it's the solution that we think is the solution, but it's not the solution either. It's something that when, when we stop, when we put the food down and we start feeling, then we really, really get in touch with who we are. And we can see, you know, where our fears are and where our anger is. And if we're working the steps and we have a sponsor and we have the fellowship, we have a place to deal with all of this stuff. I would have sabotaged that relationship. It would be no longer... But I'm, I'm really uh, happy today. I'm really in love today. I'm really grateful for program today. And um, I really do practice these principles in all my affairs. And I just, I wanted to talk about that. Because that's like living life. You know, we've got to live life. And if you're not having a face full of food, you're going to have emotions. You're going to feel. You know, you're going to feel really good. You're going to feel pain really good. You're going to feel anxiety really good. You're going to feel joy really good. You're going to feel bliss really good. You know, you're going to feel, you're just going to feel. And so allow, you know, I just allow myself to feel. And um, I also have um, done a lot of practice with Step 11 work, um, pursuing my own spiritual pursuits and um, becoming more of a compassionate person with loving kindness. And the resentment inventory prayer I use almost every single day because you never know when something's going to come up and piss you off. You never know. could be some guy who cuts you off right after this meeting out on, you know, Bundy in San Vicente, you know? So, the way that works in my life is that I really put the prayers that we find in, in the big book and when we work the steps, put it into our life. You know, we have to see that other people are spiritually sick too, just like us. You know, I get that I'm spiritually sick. I get that I have character defects. And so if if someone offends, I can say to myself, okay, this is a sick person just like me. How can I be helpful to them, you know? How can I cultivate the same patience, tolerance, and compassion 
that I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. That's the kind of thing that transforms my little bits of anger that pop up on a day-to-day basis, transforms my anger into compassion. And when it, when it comes to fear, you know, transforming your fear into faith, we, we have to utilize the prayers that we get in the big book in order to do that. Because these things don't just get removed. They get replaced. So if you're not going to be feeling angry, then compassion is the opposite of that. If you're not going to be in fear, it's faith. You know, if you're not going to be in hate, it's love. So if you're choosing not to be acting out on your character defects, you're going to be acting on all those other things. It's all the character building work that we get to do in 6 and 7. It's like, okay, how can I, you know, how can I be the person I want to be? How can I actually have God, really ask God for guidance in these situations, you know? And I wasn't a real big higher power God person when I came in, um, but I learned that my higher power is doing for me what I can't do for myself. Totally. My whole life today, everything that's happening is really a result of following my higher power's guidance for me, you know? Not, you know, blowing up and trying to change Dave's mind when he says he's never going to get married again. Like, okay, can I just accept that everyone has their truth? Everyone just has their view. It's no big deal. Can we just practice the serenity prayer? Except that I cannot change. That would be you. I can't change you. Except that I can't change. That would be me. You know, it gets a little sticky when, you know, you have to make decisions that are a little bit more challenging than just you and me. But we can do this, and the promises are totally real, but it comes from actually working the steps. Because the tools that we get in in recovery and the transformation that happens helps us actually live our life. Where instead of turning to the food, you're going to turn to your fellows, you're going to turn to God, you're going to turn to your literature, you're going to turn to the telephone, you're going to go to a meeting, you're going to call your sponsor. You do so many things instead of going to the food. Because food doesn't fix it, it only makes things worse. So I am so, so, so grateful um, that I had the opportunity to be here. And um, I had no idea what was going to come out of my mouth. It's all God. I I probably missed 80% of what I had thought maybe I would talk about, but whatever. Whoever, I trust that whoever showed up here tonight needed to hear exactly whatever it was that came out of my mouth, which I can't even remember what that was. But, I mean, that's really just letting it, you know, just letting it happen. And trusting that I'm not in control. I'm really not. I'm, I'm not in control. I'm not in control of food. I just really allow my higher power to guide me today. So thank you for being here, and thank you for giving me this opportunity to be of service. Thank you. Okay. So if there's anyone that has, like, a question that they'd like to ask me. Yeah. Hi. Um, you talk a bit about your... Um, my higher power is that loving, energetic force in the universe that wants me to be well. My higher power, it's like, I feel like higher power is in all things. That there's nothing that higher power isn't. I have a little post-it note on my mirror in my bathroom that, said, that says, there's nowhere God isn't. And when I see that, my whole body relaxes and I see God everywhere. In everyone, in everything, in every little insect, in every little, you know, flashing light. 
really, our higher power is always there. Always. We're not always connecting to it, but it's always there. That's how I feel. So, I just have to let go and surrender. And... spend a little time in the quiet like the big book suggests we pause when agitated or doubtful that pause that that pause where you just go and you become really present in your body I've done like a lot of meditation and yoga for that very reason because it helps me to pause and to breathe. I don't know if you guys realize it, but you've been breathing for the last hour. You probably didn't even know it. <laughs> You're breathing. And every breath is coming spontaneously without any effort on your part, right? You're not even in control of your own breath. When you think about it, it just comes. And then it goes. And then it comes back. Like, who's doing that? So I get in touch with God in all kinds of ways. That's why I had to have my feet on the floor, you know, take my boots off, because I can't feel God as well on my toes as I can when I'm on my full bottom of my feet. It's like, I don't know if any of you guys do yoga, but it's like Tadasana, you know? you got to feel that groundedness underneath your feet. Feel your body. So, anyway, that's, that's, my, um, that's my little thing. I probably could have gone on for an hour just about higher power. Okay, that's it. Thank you so much. <laughs>